The TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hello and welcome back to the Cloister Bell podcast. I'm your host, Liam, and my wonderful co-host is Rob, who also joins me. Hi, Rob. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Uh, it's great. Um, I, well, actually, now that you mention it, I was in the kitchen um, singing this afternoon, mm-hmm. and I started doing some Louis Armstrong, and oh, okay. that's when I realized I must be getting a cold, because <laughs> when you hit, you hit those deep... Like, hello, I'm Louis. And like, <laughs> it, then it was like, I felt like I was swallowing, swallowing a cactus. <laughs> so yeah, I think I might be getting cold. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Just like, what uh, what song were you singing? Um, It's a Wonderful World? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the one. I, I attempted it. Yeah. Uh, Usually I'm all right at it. <laughs> in my mind yeah I think we've reached the peak of the podcast what's that, what's that Louis Armstrong impression fantastic what's the point of carrying on now yeah. <laughs> Aye. so apart from <laughs> apart from that uh, what else have you been up to Um. well last time we spoke I was waiting on the fridge freezer coming a new one mm-hmm. it's here I'm looking at it right now. Um, the what was the problem with the water dispenser? It was leaking, so we're waiting for a, a replacement part. Right. Typical. It's just life. Yeah. These these things happen. Um, but apart from that, it's good. It's keeping the food cold. All good. All right, okay, that's well. pretty much the most exciting thing that's happened to me, and it wasn't even ex- exciting. <laughs> oh yeah, that's uh, that's not good. Um, well. With me, I, I suppose it is a bit exciting. I got laser eye surgery. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Like a, like a new man. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had the um Yeah, it's it's I'm not really noticing any difference. It's you know, uh with you're not wearing glasses. Oh I've got um <laughs> Oh I had I thought you looked ill, but I wasn't sure, and then I realised you weren't wearing glasses. So I've had the full the full you know the full range of um, uh, responses that you could possibly get from with that, but yeah, yeah. I, I tend not to take mine off because people are like, "Oh, you look really weird." <laughs> Wait, thank, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks, thank, th- yeah, thanks. Um, but it's mainly been uh, work colleagues uh, so far. That um, I think there's only been mm-hmm. one uh, one other friend of mine who hasn't um, who who seen me without them since. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm expecting when when there's a big massive catch up, just the whole. God, you look weird. But it's um, yeah. I'm still in the recovery uh, stage because I got because okay. there's there's different there's two main versions of it. Uh, one's a much more quicker recovery, one's slower. Um, and of course, I was eligible for the one that gives you a slower recovery rate, but it's it's fine. But um, it's a really odd mix of seeing things perfectly clear and also being slightly blurry. <laughs> so it's a bit, right. Uh, but okay. each day, it's it's slowly uh, getting better. So, um, when things are clear, is mm. it like phenomenal? 
Yeah, I mean, from from from, from my view, because I think I've been wearing glasses since probably since I was seven or eight or something like that. Right. Um, and you don't not, you don't have to squint at everything. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't. And um, becoming short sighted at a young age meant that as I was getting older, um, my eyesight was getting worse. I mean, it's 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 been standard for the last since I was 15 or something, so quite a while. But uh, I was appallingly short-sighted, like my, uh, minus five. Um, so without my glasses, it was like, uh, unless something was like pretty much like, uh, like a centimetre in front of my face, I wasn't able to see it properly. But but now I can. I, I'm looking at things on the opposite side of the road and I can see them clearly. <laughs> um, uh, so it's great. It's like, wow, I can... I can Are you I- just out-waving at cars? <laughs> I'm not that thi- no, no, I'm not, so like, not that bad, but I am that thing of going, now that I can see sort of like people and uh, with, without my glasses, I'm not sure if I'm giving people weird looks inadvertently or not, but uh, I'm sure I'll get used to it soon. But um, it's a bit weird with um, like with computer screens and things like that, because sometimes it's a bit double vision. But, oh, uh, right, okay. Yeah. But nothing too bad that I, like, like I can't read. Um but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good being able to uh, to see things without without wearing glasses. <laughs> Haven't been able to do that since I was six. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is um, getting back into swimming because um, that's one form of exercise I really really enjoy and I like. But um, but, but you can't get like prescription goggles no and then <laughs> the thing is it's um uh unless i was a co- unless someone accompanied me it was sort of like right can you tell me if there's someone on the uh, like approaching me in the late i mean the, the, i think the last one of the last times i went was um i just happened to stop uh and it was purely by chance and thank goodness i did because i almost crashed into a father and his eight-year-old daughter because uh, right. i just couldn't see and i thought yeah this isn't good i can't <laughs> I can't see, so I shouldn't swim. Uh, it's it's causing a health and safety issue. Um, so I look, I'm looking forward to going for that. And finally, it'd be great. Uh, I'll be able to buy myself a decent pair of sunglasses. Yeah, just buying prescription sunglasses that look decent. I mean, the last the last ones I got, I couldn't I couldn't go outside wearing them. They made me look like a sex offender. They were really <laughs> bad design. Um, the because uh, this was just me. I was getting my normal. Um, new glasses and they went oh well uh, you can get a free prescription sunglasses with them and i went all right okay great and i got my free prescription sunglasses and went yeah there's a reason why they're free people are dodgy wearing these they were bad so I'll, I'll, that's another bonus as well i'll be able to buy myself some decent sunglasses for that's the first great. time in years yeah yeah so, the future's looking good <laughs> brilliant that's good mm. Being so what, what? no no so, sorry <laughs> what were you gonna say <laughs> I don't know. My mind was just blank for a moment, but we'll we'll get back on track. Um, oh, I, I put a thing out on Twitter earlier on tonight. Right. Um, now, I'd asked a question and nobody's responded, which um, which is either one of two things. We're not that popular or um, my question's quite valid. Um, I said... Name a piece of food that doesn't go with either cheese or chocolate. Yeah, I saw that. 
and I saw that your wife responded and said it can't be done and I was racking my brains and I, the only thing I could think of was art, artichoke is it's that a, a vegetable or a fish <laughs> it's a vegetable Rob and uh, I think of anchovies oh actually yeah you might anchovies you might have actually uh, but uh, yeah. they, they, they go on pizza don't they Oh yes, you're right. Yeah, sometimes you can get. It can't be done. It can't be done. Yeah, I'd like to be proven wrong, but no. Yeah, there's there's got to be whale. There you go. Some people eat whale. Whale. Yeah, whale. Um, I know it's controversial. You can have you can have cheese on you. you, Um, it's not what what, it's 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 a is it a warm-blooded mammal? Yeah. Yeah, you can have cheese on meat. Yeah, I know, but I mean, I'm just trying to think. Would it go, would cheese go with whale? Well, I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> Should we try it? Yeah, just <laughs> just you know, controversial though it may be. Um, actually, should we just go through the controversial we'll, we'll, stuff? Why, yeah, we'll do it for, sa- for science. Yeah, for science. <laughs> see, fr- frogwar. Oh no, that doesn't go right with cheese and uh, and chocolate. Yeah. No, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it can be done. No, I don't think it can be done either. Yeah. So, what you been watching, reading, listening to, um, doing, etc.? Well, um, uh, I've only just recently got back into to reading and uh, watching stuff because after uh, the laser eye surgery, I was sort of like Dracula for a few days. Ah, the light! So I was just stuck in a darkened room listening to an awful lot of podcasts. Oh, that reminds me. Podcasts to recommend to people. Because uh, I really like history, um, so if you like history, this will be up, uh, you know, up your street. But if you don't, the, I, I think this will, be, I think this will appeal to an awful lot of people. It's called, it's called Real Dictators, uh, and it's a history podcast. It's been going on since 2020. Uh, I think at the moment they're going through a bit of a break, but uh, they they always come back, and they're really really good. And as the title suggests, um, they talk about dictators. Um, you know, you you. They've spoke. Uh, they've talked about um, Stalin, uh, Hitler, uh, Ho Chi Minh. So the obvious ones. I learned one about uh, his nickname was Papa Doc, and he was a dictator of oh. uh, uh, Haiti. That was really really interesting. And uh, yeah. So, uh, but what's interesting about the, the way that they do this is they have someone narrate it as if they're telling a story. So it's really captivating because the way that it's written and the way that it's narrated, uh, it, it unfolds like a story, and so it captivates you. That it's got a really, really good uh, sound design to it, and uh, and they and they do sort of interrupt the the story now and again with uh, with experts, other historians, and and things like that. And the person who narrates uh, real dictators is none other than Paul McGann. Oh right, yeah, and as as we know, you know, he's got a great voice, and he really tells the the sto- these historical stories incredibly well. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I, so I've been listening to that an awful lot uh, recently. So I definitely recommend that uh, podcast, Real Dictators. Um, uh, in terms of reading, well, um, beginning of the year, I was reading. Uh, I've read. Um, I think I've already spoken about this previously. So, um, Fellowship of the Rings, because I want to be wanting to reread uh, Lord of the Rings for a while. Oh yes. So read the the first book of the trilogy. Uh, I've been reading uh, an awful lot of stuff on the Watergate scandal, and I've recently started uh, a book on King Athelstan. As you do, 
yeah. uh, the first king of England in the uh, mid to late 10th century. So, uh, wow. yeah, I've read a couple of chapters on that book so far and it's, it's quite good. So I'm enjoying that. Uh, watching stuff. Uh, no, the, I haven't really watched, watched any good 4Ks with your new eyes. Uh, no, not yet. Uh, but uh, should do actually. Yeah. Uh, which four Ks have I yeah. got uh, that I need to? Oh, you know what you need to do. What's that? You need, you need to go and see a good three D film. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I'll actually be able to see a three D film without having, yeah. having to put glasses. You like on a three D virgin? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, finally, I get the hype. I still think it, I think yeah. I'll actually yeah. that is a good shout, Rob. I think I will. I still yeah. probably think it's a load of crap, but yeah. uh, I do think it's something I should give it a go now. Yeah, yeah. We, we should. Oh, you know what? You've probably done it before, but we should go and do like a four D at the at the gate. I haven't actually done four D. Right, um, so I haven't done it, but um, yeah, you'll be sitting in a moving chair. <laughs> it sprays you with water, smells, <laughs> bubbles, and wind, all sorts. Great, depending on the film that you're watching, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if it's a boring one, it'll keep you awake. <laughs> That's true. 4D version of the piano. <laughs> wow. Um. Anyway, yeah. So, how about you, Rob? What, uh, have you been watching, reading, listening, anything? Not a great deal. Uh, reading. Um, I did get the official Doctor Who 2023 annual as a as a stocking filler from someone at Christmas. Oh, nice. Um, from your father-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, annuals, you know, a bit bit childish, but having to read through anyway. There is a, a little game in there, like a quiz thing I thought we could do today. Oh, okay. Um, that's all I've really been reading. I've been watching a few things. Oh, um, we started the first episode of Reacher, the TV show of the Jack Reacher books. Oh, right, yes, I was going, I was going what does that mean? Yes, the Jack Reacher books, yeah, yeah. They're quite uh, we've only watched the first episode, uh, good so far, yeah. But I haven't been doing much else. Just work. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll be doing that as well, yeah, yeah, just work. Uh, what we're doing now? Um. Well, we'll start off a little bit on the main thing, and then we'll come back to that game that you mentioned in the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so... <clears throat> Uh, we're reviewing uh, another season 18 uh, story. This time it's the, the, the third televised story in the series. Uh, it's Full Circle, which would be the first of what what's called the E-Space Trilogy. And with the cast and crew, we have Tom Baker playing the Doctor. Lala Ward plays Romana. John Leeson, K-9. And Matthew Waterhouse joins the series playing Adric. And we have George Baker playing Logan. Leonard Maguire play, playing Draith, James Bree playing Nefred, Alan Rowe, Gareth, Tony Galvin, Dexeter, Richard Willis, Varsh, Bernard Padham, Tylos, Jane Page, Kira, Andrew Forbes, Omril, and Adrian Gibbs, Rivesick. So I'm, str- I'm struggling to read. A lot of names. Yeah, a lot of names. Uh, directed by Peter Grimway, this is the first Doctor Who story he directed. Written by uh, written by Andrew Smith and produced by John Nathan Turner. And in terms of the plot synopsis, I have the Doctor Who Handbook, the fourth Doctor, 
the Tom Baker years, uh, which I'm basically just going to purloin the uh, plot synopsis and read from that. It, it were, this book was originally published by Virgin Publishing in 1992. <clears throat> the TARDIS becomes caught in a charged vacuum embointment, a hole in the fabric of space, and is drawn into e-space, a smaller universe which coexists with our own. The first planet the Doctor and Romana arrive on is Alzarius, a seemingly idyllic world supporting a happy and contented people. The Pteridonians are misplaced from their own world as their starliner crashed on Alzarius 50 years before. They live on the planet now whilst all the time making repairs to the ship in readiness to leave. The colony is run by three deciders, Draith, Nefred and Gareth, who periodically check on the people living outside the ship. There is also a small group of outlers, youngsters led by Varsh, who have rebelled against the elders of the colony and who live apart from the others in a cave, stealing what little they need. The arrival of the Doctor and Romana coincides with Mistfall, a periodic event spoken about in the Pteridonians' history, which the normally harmless river fruit they harvest hatched venomous spiders and misshapen monsters rise from the misty marshes to attack the colony. The deciders evacuate everyone back to the Starliner as the Marshmen arise and begin to advance on the colony. It is the Doctor who works out the truth. The Pteridonians all died when they first arrived, and the people who now think of themselves as Pteridonians are in fact evolved Marshmen. Misfall is just part of the planet's ecological process, and the spiders and attacking Marshmen will eventually evolve into the humanoids who now run the ship. He further deduces that the ship has already been ready for takeoff for years. The problem is that none of the deciders will face up to the awful knowledge that they simply don't know how to pilot the ship. With the Doctor's help, the humanoid Alzerians leave the planet in the Starliner. Adric, one of the outlaws, stows away on board the TARDIS rather than leave with his people. That's a good summary. Yeah. It's, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot I'd forgot. I was just thinking, I watched it a few weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, what happened? There was like close-ups of loads of naked men swimming. <laughs> people were stealing aubergines. What else happened? <laughs> yeah, there's some, uh, there's some very uh, interesting shots <laughs> in the first episode. With uh, very fit young men wearing nothing but sort of like loincloth swimming and then staggering out. And there was one shot where it was just like, wow, bloody hell, Lee. <laughs> we almost caught an eye full with that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I just, you know, and all the swimming for aubergines and things like that. It's, uh, yeah. are you suggesting it becomes a erotic, Rob? Yeah. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> it is a then, bit. Then it turns into a quite a good kind of sci fi plot. Yeah, so depending on, you know, your taste, either it starts off really good and just generates into sheer boredom or the opposite happens, but, you know, whatever. Um, had you seen the story before? Um, once, and it was very vague. <laughs> All right, okay. But again, it came back to me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, obviously, with this whole season 18 thing, we've been reviewing the televised stories and the big finish stories that fit in uh, between it. But in terms of the televised stories, this is the third. So this follows the Leisure Hive and uh, Megalos. And what I will say about Full Circle is, for me, I feel that this is the first proper story of the season because um, for all their strengths and weaknesses, the, the you know the, the Leisure Hive we enjoyed and Megalos was, uh, was sort of fun, although perhaps not the greatest Doctor Who story. But... Uh, in a lot of ways, it felt like, apart from John Nathan Turner's polished, 
production of the new title sequence and the music and the overall look of the thing. Story-wise, I felt like they could have easily fit into the previous season. Um, whereas with Full Circle, uh, I've always thought, and it, it hit me still when watch, uh, watching it again uh, for this podcast, is that this feels like a proper season 18 story in terms of you know, the story itself and the, the, uh, the style of the script and everything like that. That this is a story that belongs of this season. I couldn't, I couldn't see it fitting in, you know, the Graham Williams period before. Mm-hmm. So, it, in that sense, it felt like right. Uh, we're three stories in, although I think production-wise, it was probably um, the fourth produced or something like that. But anyway, um, it felt like John, you know, Jonathan Turner as producer. Christopher Hamilton bid me to script it as they're really now, you know, they're fully in charge of the show that they're that they're running. So from a production point of view, oh, full steam ahead with it. Yeah. Um So that that was uh that one thing that uh, struck me. And this can and really and obviously we're saying this with hindsight, we're starting to get into the run of what will eventually lead to Tom Baker's departure of the season. There are certain things which are starting to, um, you know, be introduced to the, uh, into the season. Um, one of them is uh, this thing called a charge vacuum embodiment or a CVE, um, which is this thing where at the beginning of the story in episode one, I think it's very well done. Um, the, the TARDIS is uh, forced into another mini universe, which is eSpace. CVEs and the, uh, would come into play in Logopolis, which is Tom Baker's final story. So we're starting to see this sort of woven in. Mm. Um, we have a new companion introduced, which we'll get onto in a second, um, which will provide that crossover between Tom Baker and the next Doctor, Peter Davison. Um, but the thing as well, which got hint, um, it was sort of hinted at in the end of Megloss, uh, but we're seeing it here. Lala Ward Romana is going to be start, you know, is starting to be written out of uh, of the season, mm-hmm. and uh, and once again, K nine is written out of the story. Uh, we've seen that in the Leisure Hive. Uh, he he, you know, he ends up uh, going into the sea and sort of explodes, and that's him out of the story. Um, he's that's a little, his thing. Yeah, well, that's the thing in in um, in this season. Because Jonathan Turner wanted to get rid of uh, get rid of K nine, and so that he's starting to get written out, and not in a very dignified way. It's got to be said. So you get that in the Leisure Hive. He's sort of involved in Megloss, but constantly running out of energy. And then in here, his head gets lopped off, and uh, even it it gets used though his head. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. It, it gets used, and uh, you know the the monsters of the story use him, and and the Doctor does a bit. But it even gets commented on in the story where um, that Romana says to Adric, you know, we always seem to be repairing him. So, you know, so we're starting to go into the flow of what will eventually lead to Tom Baker um, leaving the series. Um, with with Romana, it's that whole thing of the, the, the Time Lords want her back now. Um, and she's not very keen on that. You know, she's 
you know, she's changed as a person with all her adventures of the Doctor and, and so on. And she, the idea of her going back to Gallifrey just, you know, it, it doesn't really fill her with uh, with, with joy. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> in terms of um, the monster of the week, uh, which is the Marshman, um, what do you think of them? Um, yeah, creepy. Mm-hmm. They're a bit like um, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Looking, aren't they? Yes, yeah, they are a bit. I think they're. I think they're a good design, um, and I quite like um, the thought that's gone into it. Sort of like their skin's a bit bobbly, and it makes you think of seaweed a bit. And um, in fact, we have a we have a great uh, cliffhanger to episode one, don't we? Um, when we see the Marshman arise from from the waters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think that's an iconic cliffhanger? Mm, well. I barely remembered it until you mentioned it. <laughs> so no. <laughs> but now that you mention it, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but not if you not if you don't remember it. It's just a just a cliffhanger. Yeah, I, I need to go back and rewatch. Clearly. <laughs> um, Sorry, I'm the worst person to talk to. Most of the time. <laughs> it's the point of you, Rob. Um, so. Well, actually, one of the big things is that is introduced into the story is uh, Matthew Waterhouse uh, is Adric. Um, I mean, mm, the- I was wondering if I'd if I'd hate him more um, <laughs> revisiting this story, but um, yeah, I, I don't I don't hate him. But ha- had you previously? No, but people do, don't they? Yeah, they do. And he's regarded as sort of like for a lot of people as like the you know one of the worst things to happen in the show and all the rest of it, which I've always thought is terribly unfair. I mean, I've always quite liked the character, and I, I've never looked at the, the the series and thought Matthew Waterhouse played the part poorly. Mm. Um, I think the thing is with uh, I I think the the issue is um, that he was very young he was inexperienced as a, as an actor and i think what ends up happening you know he 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 gets uh, cast into the show plays adric um and the first story he recorded was state of decay full circle was his second story i think and when he was recording state of decay uh, through this uh misunderstanding um where they were all about to go to go on their lunch break, and apparently one of the uh, one of the people uh, in costume had had told uh, Matthew that he needed to change out of his costume, which he said, "Well, I don't need to do that." And actually, it will take me qu- quite a long time to get out of it. And by the time I've got out of it, then the lunch break will be over, and I have to get I'll have to get uh, back into it again. And this caused a hu- bit of a hullabaloo and. Uh, apparently a bit of a falling out with Lala Ward, who Lala Ward just thought, he, you know, Matthew Waterhouse was just being a bit of a dick. And it was just like, why don't you just listen to the person from costumes and just do what you're told? So I think that, you know, when you've just started, I think he probably felt a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. Then what ends up happening is, uh, then it's just him and Tom Baker. And I actually think, although I'm sort of like leaping ahead, I've always thought that Matthew Waterhouse is Adric. I thought he was, I think he's really, really good in The Keeper of Trakan. Um... But then what ends up happening is then Tom Baker leaves and uh, Peter Davison comes in and you get Janet Fielding uh, as Tegan and you have um, Sarah Sutton as Nyssa, all of whom are like really good, um, well-established actors. And 
Matthew Waterhouse just can't compete with that. I think that's what the issue is. I don't. I don't necessarily think that he gives a bad performance. And as I said, I've never had an. I've never had a problem with the character. I just think it just happens he's surrounded by much stronger characters and actors, and I think that's the the problem. Mm. So, like in comparison, but yeah, I like Matthew Waterhouse, and I I like Adric. Having said that, though, I do think the first scene he's introduced in, I don't think does it does him an awful lot of favors. Um. You know when he's when he uh, joins the Outlers uh, with Varsh, yeah. One of whom is uh, you know Varsh is his brother, and that whole thing of um, I don't know. There's just something. It's the only see. It's the only scene in the story where I think the writing isn't. I don't know. Isn't up to scratch. There's just something about the dialogue of um, and the way that it's performed. You know that whole thing about um, I don't expect special treatment. What's the star for? can't you keep the slot under better control there's just something about it which doesn't seem to ring true for the characters for me and the way that's performed a little bit i just think it's a bit naff right um and keeping in mind that you know you're introducing who's now going to be a main you know a new regular onto the show i don't think it's the best scene in terms of writing and performance it just comes across as a little under rehearsed and i just think the dialogue's a bit off mm. but it's the only bit in the story that i'm not particularly keen on i think the rest of it's yeah you know, i really like the story and i think it's it's you know it's very strong yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry Rob, it's just because i know that i'm doing all the talking i just uh but you've, <laughs> you haven't got much to say about full circle have you um no not really it was it was an interesting concept um i guess adric is a marshman then um, which didn't uh, wasn't a significant thing going forward with his character, but yeah, I mean the only significant thing it has is that um, the way that evolution is explained on this planet is woven into the story is that they because um, is that he has a very fast metabolism, uh, which gets mentioned in visitation and is probably a reason why he keeps on stuffing his face in black orchid if you want to have that as a sort of reason why Adric's just sitting there eating chicken all the time. Mm. But, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It doesn't yeah. really... It... Could, have he, could, could he have adapted and evolved to withstand um, a planetary impact? Such an odd question. I don't see why not. Why do you ask? No reason, just a... Just a... Just a, just a thought. Yeah, just, yeah, just a thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, or you know, just have his, uh, you know, if, depending on where he. Say, for example, it was a high impact into a planet uh, in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and his cells are sort of like there. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we all evolved from Adric. Maybe we did. It maybe, all came full circle. It, yeah. <laughs> nice one, Rob. Um, I, you know, so I like that. I like this thing of going the way that the story unfolds because there is this mystery of you know because you've got these these the three leaders, the deciders, yeah, um, which is sort of ironic because they don't decide at all. Um, and there's this whole thing about the system files, and there's this whole secret and this this mystery of you know what is what is mistfall, what's this mm. all got to do with the spiders and, and the marshman, and I kind of like that mystery and the atmosphere of it. I think that's written uh, very well. 
And Andrew Smith was only 18 when he he wrote this script. Um, and obviously he worked closely with Chris, uh, the, the script editor, Christopher Hamilton Bidmead, but, um, you know, clearly a very talented writer. And I think uh, Andrew Smith, who is from Glasgow, I think, you know, he wrote this. I think he also wrote some comedy uh skits for a bbc sketch show in the early 80s but then he he uh entered the police force worked up quite highly but i think he always wanted to go back to writing writing and i think he has i think he's gone back and he's written for big finish so i think there's uh, some andrew smith uh, big finish audio adventures all right okay uh i want to say not just for Doctor Who, but I may be wrong. But he's definitely written uh, big finished Doctor Who stories as well. So, um, and clearly, you know, for the fact he was eighteen when he he wrote this, I think a very talented uh, writer fr- from the off. And I think that apart from that scene that I mentioned earlier, I think this script is is pretty solid. Yeah, and it's quite an interesting, complex idea. Yeah, and how the whole, it, and and the themes about it. So it, it's all about kind of procrastinating. Um, secrecy and um yeah there's a lot to it and yeah then there's the whole thing about the marshmallows as well yeah. yeah yeah so you got that whole thing about the evolution and uh that 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 wonderful twist of of actually uh the designers have procrastinated for, for thousands of years lied to the population because they can't um as a, one as a as, as a means of control but also because they can't the the, the idea of actually telling people the truth uh, just fills them with horror, so they just keep on uh, putting it off and putting it off, uh, and of course until the doctor arrives and sorts it all out. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like all that. I also think it has one of the best um, scenes in in Tom Baker's era, which uh, it's it's a, it's a really sad sort of payoff and very dramatic. But uh, earlier on in the the story, when you have the, the Marshman having emerged and acclimatizing. Uh, there's there's a there's a marsh child who's a bit slow and behind all the others, and um, the doctor bump, bumps into him and this scares the marsh child off. And there's that wonderful line of Tom Baker going, "Oh, how odd! I usually get on so well with children," uh, which is a wonderful line in the show itself. But also, it, it it's sort of a little bit of a wink to the audience because it's Tom Baker and we all you know he'd been playing the role for six seven years at this point mm. and did get on well with children. So there's a bit of a it's it's the Doctor and it's a comet and Tom Baker, which is quite nice. But in terms of the story, he he uh, this establishes a little bit of a uh, a relationship with the Marsh Child, and the Marsh Child is the one who trusts uh, the Doctor. And this has a tragic payoff because the the Marsh Child goes into the Starliner, and I've forgotten the name of of the scientist, Dexeter. Uh, oh, yeah. Dexeter then starts experimenting on the Marsh Child. Uh, yeah, he's taking like tissue samples taking, of the arm. Yeah, taking tissue samples, uh, but is also going to com- uh, commence surgery with the Marsh Child, not under anaesthetic. Mm. Uh, which in you know in, in not our, very nice. Not no, not very nice, and brings up a lot of uh, issues with uh, you know a lot of cases with modern history. Um. And what ends up happening is that the Mars child, obviously under a lot of pain, uh, freezes restraints, kills Dexeter, and and then sees an image of uh, the Doctor on 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 a visual uh, on a, on a screen, 
and thinks the doctor's there and it doesn't obviously doesn't understand it's a uh, it's a computer screen it starts yeah and the doctor's like no don't reach out it's yeah, just a telly yeah uh but the marsh child doesn't understand that destroys and, it yeah. and destroys it and then gets electrocuted <laughs> and dies it's really sad but uh i think that whole scene I think is one of the best. The way that the Doctor storms into the uh, the file room, shouting Dexter, and you know, going, you know, Tom Baker gives a really strong electrifying performance in that scene. Absolutely, you know, disgusted at what Dexter is doing, uh, and then seeing all this thing unfold, and then he really lays it into the deciders after it of uh, going that wonderful line of. Um, You know, it's very easy to destroy one. Have you tried creating one? That you know, that there's a, there's a lot going on there. I just think it's a really, really great scene. I think it's you know, it's it's one scene that's always stuck with me. Um, and mm. I, I you know I like that one an awful lot. Yeah. What do we think of the three deciders? We have the one who becomes the prime guy, and um, we have the the third who uh, was the was a father. Yes, um, and he has a bit of conflict because he's worried about his daughter who's left behind. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem to last long. He's not. He's not too reluctant to join them. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's. I think that's uh, done quite well. I mean, it's it's played by George Baker, who's a who really good actor. Um, I've seen him in. He's been in loads of TV series uh, and a couple of James Bond films uh, uh, as well. But really good actor. I think. Uh, He's he is very uh, distraught about losing his daughter, but it's the, but he's the you know the most respected uh, person in the community. So the other two deciders decide to make him the third. What's really interesting is the first decider seems to recognize that uh, bringing Logan in the George Baker character will actually be awfully good for them because it will more likely than not. Um, free them from their indecisions and probably be a, a complete breath of fresh air um and you you do get some sort of like sort of semi-comic scenes uh with, with all this in fact when the marshmen are in the starliner attacking everyone uh logan is the one who's who's trying to come up with you know really fast defensive uh, strategies in order to overcome the attack but the other deciders are being, you know, very, very thorough, going through, we need to decide everything and, you know, all the rest of it. And he's just looking completely perplexed, going, it is not a defensive response. And these people are just like absolute lunatics. Um, so I think I think that's uh, quite good. Mm. Um, Romana goes through, through a lot in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, because she gets um, affected and there's a, a visual effect of our veins yeah quite good. yeah yeah it's simple but uh but done well um sort of like the blue veins and you can see them sort of um uh change color and, and a little bit and the idea of it ties in it narratively with the, the evolution she gets bitten by one of the spiders and you know the, the the spiders the marshman and uh the inhabitants of the starline are all very uh uh very very genetically close she gets bitten by a um, by one of these spiders that starts to alter her DNA, and she. I think there's a there's a very strong suggestion, isn't there, that that actually, because she ends up becoming quite friendly with the Marshman, and the Marshman seem to recognise that the you know 
there's a connection there but this is there's a very strong suggestion that it becomes um symbiotic isn't it with the spiders oh no with with the marshman sorry yeah yeah with the marshman yeah uh which is interesting and she she becomes quite vicious i'm sure she's trying to claw people's eyes out at some point <laughs> yeah yeah well actually going back into that thing of what we said that the uh canine's head gets used yeah. uh, the doctor tries to uh uh use it to i don't know um frighten the marshman or something like that and then the the possessed romana sneaks up behind him hmm. and he manages to sort of break that conditioning in, a little and bit like reminding reminding her yeah. of canine and the tardis and she's kind of like stroking the outside of the tardis and the marshman come along yeah and she starts <laughs> she just starts like start clawing at them yeah. um yeah she does uh she does become quite vicious hmm. off screen as well it would it would seem in the <laughs> state of decay yeah <laughs> yeah just start clawing at matthew waterhouse <laughs> um <laughs> take your clothes off <laughs> listen to what the costume person say jeez okay um uh yeah and then of course it, it re- uh, reaches the the peak of the story I, I do like that scene when um the doctor's actually helping him out to, to make the decision of going right this is how this is how you fly the ship you've got the manual but this is the beginning of it and the green button will will uh, make everything lift he goes but doctor wait the green button gentleemen and then Tom, Tom Baker just storms off I just yeah. I just like that like that delivery now I couldn't remember if the, if they did launch or not. I thought maybe it was going to be left, left to the viewer's imagination. Did they? But then they did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? That, that, I mean, I'm not disappointed. I thought with I was the just going to debate it for a few thousand years. Yeah. Um, Procrastinate more. Yeah. Actually, I think that would have been quite a nice idea to to perhaps leave it ambiguous. But uh, mm. but no, they they make that decision, and I, I mean, I do like the ending, and it it it, it is. Um, it is quite optimistic, which I like. And then um, the Doctor, Romana and K-9 acknowledging that they're trapped in East Space. And that's the sort of loose uh, connection over the following two stories with regards to they're trapped in this mini-universe and they need to get back into their, o- into their own. So, Yeah, I was a bit confused. Are they, spatially, are they on Gallifrey? Just with the scanner. Yeah, it's... Um, so... The way that's explained is that uh, the scanner reads the values of the coordinates. So the coordinates say that they're on Gallifrey. Therefore, it shows the image that they're on Gallifrey. But actually, mm-hmm. it's it's negative coordinates because they're in e-space. Mm-hmm. Right, got you. Yeah, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But that's sort of how it's explained in the story. Oh, okay. Oh. So we had a few bits with the um, the inhabitants um, repairing the Starliner over and over. Mm-hmm. You know, they've all got the station and they're in teams, just constantly replacing parts. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's surprising that they didn't realise what they were doing. Yeah, well, like, you know, haven't we haven't we been here before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's sort of uh, it's uh, towards the embarkation. Uh, that that wonderful scene of uh, all the inhabitants of all eight people in a room uh, towards the embarkation. Um, yeah, well, yeah, just doing what they're told and it's for the good of the community. The deciders know what they're doing, so... Yeah. Well, um, do you want to have a quick break and we can do this quick game? 
Yes, that sounds good. Okay. So this is from the the official annual. Let me just find the page. So this is Unit's Ultimate Showdown. Okay. And there is kind of a a branching tree of all these villains going off against each other and there'll be there'll be one um there'll be one ultimate threat. So we have to put these villains against each other and decide who is a bigger threat. Oh, okay. Um so on the left hand side we've got the Daleks versus the Sea Devils. The Daleks versus the Sea Devils. Yeah. So who's the biggest threat? I feel like this is a no brainer. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's an easy one. It it's gotta be the Daleks, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'll, I'll just write that one down. Um then we've got Suntarans versus Passenger from Flux. Passenger from Flux? What's that? Um a bloke uh, dressed in black with a black mask. Um Oh you... yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got uh right, okay, so um and it's dimensionally transcendental. Uh, yeah, so he w- he was like wasn't he abs- absorbing people? Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay, I I know who you're talking about now, right? Okay, so <laughs> passenger and who was the other? Suntorans. Which I guess themselves are quite a big threat. Yeah, mm. I think again, but... I think I'm gonna have to say the Suntorans. Would you agree or yeah, I yeah. guess so. Okay. Okay, now we've got Cybermen versus the Lupari. Who are the dog people? It's the Cybermen. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of choice is that? Right, okay. Unless you've got allergies. <laughs> True. But, you know, just to cause of, uh, antihistamines. You'll need a lot more than that to beat the Cybermen. Okay, next up. The Weeping Angels mm. against the Jadoon. Oh, that's... Uh, right, this is much more interesting. Uh, you can have a proper conversation with these ones. The Weeping Angels of the Jadoon. Mm. Well, the Weeping Angels might not necessarily kill you. They'll just send you back in time. Yeah, but that can that can you know, that can ruin your life. Yeah. Uh and they can just creep up on you. Uh well actually they can also mentally possess you. Yeah. So, there's a lot with the weeping angels. So yeah, they can transport you back into time. So that whole thing of, you know, the only species that can kill you with kindness, although they can physically kill you as well. They could snap your neck. And snap your neck. Or they can get in your head and really mess you up. And they can turn you into one. Right, okay. So you've got all that going on. And then with the Jadoon, I mean, they're just like, I mean... They're just like police. Yeah, they're just like really overzealous police. And don't get me wrong, I can understand why some people can get freaked out by the police. But um, I think, for me, I think think I'm going Weeping Angels. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Next up, Swarm, so the weird-looking guy from Flux. Oh, the the purple dude. With, yeah, with like crystals great growing out his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus Tim Shaw, the guy with the teeth on his face. You know, no, no, I remember him. Uh, Tim Shaw, or what's what's the other bloke's name? Swarm. Swarm. 
See, he was obviously a kind of prehistorical master in, in terms of Doctor Who history. Hmm. Like a, a big villain. And Tim Shaw was just some bloke who collected teeth. Yeah, and he, I mean, I thought he was a great look and had a, you know, was quite threatening. But then, oh, what I remember is the Doctor just like ridiculing him more than anything. Mm. Whereas Swarm seemed to pose more of a threat. Yeah, and so, actually so, could and could mm. destroy you just by the click of his thumb. True, yeah. I'm going to have a go with Swarm. Swarm. Okay, Azure. Swarm's a bit on the side. <laughs> right, yeah. Versus the Master. The Master. I can't actually remember what Azure does. Just stands there. Yeah, just stands there and... Yeah. The Master. Next one is... Grand Serpent, that mysterious bloke from Flux, who I'm unsure who he even was, mm-hmm. versus Davros. Well, we all know the answer to that one. Next, Rob. <laughs> I, the bloke, uh, the evil scientist who created the Daleks, or that bloke who no one knows what he actually did or was about. Yeah. <laughs> he set up unit. But that's a good thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he tried to do it for nefarious purposes, but he set up unit. Next one. Yeah. I guess they're all they're, they're both villains in their own right in some way, but not in all aspects. So we have Tech Tehun versus Madame Ching. Who's Madame Ching? The pirate queen from Legend of the Sea Devils. Ah, uh, her. Right, yeah. And Tectoon. Mm. So, so Tectoon, um, like, yeah, she was a bit selfish and um, she wasn't a very good p- parent for the Doctor. Yeah, and she was a bit and of she a... And wanted, she wanted to kind of destroy the universe. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, she was a bit of a bitch towards Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Madame Ching didn't try and flux the universe. No, she didn't. Tectoon? Yeah. This is where things get a bit interesting. We have to... um, They have to go off against each other now. So, the Master versus Tectoon. Oh, sorry. Did I do that wrong there? Yeah, sorry. I'll do that last one again. Right. Is is that supposed to be Davros versus Tectoon? Yes. Sorry. No, no. That's fine. Um, Hmm... So Davros versus Tectoon. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid the who's the most iconic. But even then, I still... Th- so Davros started off as... Um, well, he's basically Hitler. Yeah. Uh, Hitler meets In- evil scientist is what Davros is. So he had an opinion uh, about... Um, what he wanted to do on Scarrow. Um, then it came down to the Daleks themselves as a race. Yeah. The Daleks perhaps independently wanted um, universal dominion. Mm. And D- Davros kind of came and went occasionally, didn't he? Yeah, but I mean, he still... Where... Does he, he still have that same agenda. Yeah, he does, yeah. 
but not forgetting he also knowing all that he he does create his own version of the daleks who are loyal to him in order to do the same thing mm. so the, there's all that going on tectoon well basically did she do something similar she created the time lords yeah, but it was not nothing out nefarious. I mean, basically, she starts off as a sort of explorer scientist, finding out bits and pieces. Comes across uh, this... I mean, yeah, it is a bit dodgy. She comes across this child, thinks she dies, the child regenerates, and then she keeps on killing the child in order mm. to work out how regeneration works. I was going to say, she's not Hitler-level dodgy, but then you said she's killing the child. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 not... Yeah, there's dodgy Nazi scientist stuff going on. This is really tricky. Mm. Who's worse, Davros or Tectoon? It has to be Davros. Yeah, I suppose it does. I mean, the the book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put Davros. Yeah. Next up, we have Swarm versus the Master. And I guess we haven't seen all the stuff that the early Doctors have went through with Swarm. Hmm. But he supposedly was a Master-esque rival. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Is that the way it was kind of presented? I think so. And then he's in prison for a long time, gets freed, is really sort of following the whims of Tectoon, snap fingers whereas i don't know but the master is like a stone cold killer yeah and seems to really relish in it and has has done really unspeakable things and has destroyed at least half the universe mm-hmm. and killed people personally <laughs> uh yeah i think it's you know it's probably got uh probably got more of a yeah, I think it's the master. Fair enough. Now, the Daleks versus the Santarans. Again, is that just the Daleks? Yeah, I think I think this is going to be one of the things. It does get tricky. I mean, the dogs do tend to trump an awful lot. Yeah, I think in terms of those personally, I think it would be the Daleks. Now, we've got the Cybermen, mm. who are pretty bad. But, um, you know, they're just... They're just doing what they need to do. There's no um, emotion behind it. Mm. Then we've got the Weeping Angels. They're just both kind of doing what's in their nature. I would think, actually, of those two, I think it's the Weeping Angels. Because going off from what you've said, I mean, the Cybermen are still nefarious, but uh, the Weeping Angels... Uh, do take enjoyment out of what they do and they know it is you know they know they're up to no good yeah and they do sort of relish in it and i also think i mean don't get me wrong i wouldn't want to come across a cyberman and try to defeat it but i think of the two i also think the weeping angels are harder to defeat yeah true so for me between those two i would say weeping angels so now we've got the Master versus Davros. Hmm. And they've only ever shared one scene together on screen. Yes, that's true, actually. Frontier in Space is a great story. Um, what are you thinking, Rob? <laughs> um, 
do you think the master? Yeah, I was thinking the master as well. Yeah. Because um, the level of Davros's power is kind of limited, um, whereas the master, mm. um, yeah, has has more kind of power, has a TARDIS, more knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Think. Master. Yeah. Then we've got the Daleks versus the Weeping Angels. Sorry, say that again. The Daleks versus the Weeping Angels. I feel that's a story waiting to happen, but yeah, it's the Daleks again, isn't it? Is it though? Because the Daleks are just creatures with kind of physical weapons, whereas the Weeping Angels are a bit, um, I don't know what's the word, not quite supernatural, but their abilities are more... They on a higher level, aren't they? That is true. I know where you're coming from. But I would say with the Daleks is there's the whole racial purity racist thing, which I'm not keen on, uh, which the angels don't have. Uh, so there's that. But I also think that it goes back to what we've seen before. There's a lot going on with the Weeping Angels, and it's interesting. But there is a potential for you to survive. Right. Whereas with the Daleks, you can, you know, <laughs> you can forget it. Unless you're very, you know, quick and able to avoid them or whatever, they're going to kill you. Yeah. Sorry, I, I keep forgetting we're not we're not putting these two opponents against each other. It's just which is the worst in general. Yeah. But yeah, you think the Daleks. Yeah, but you think the Weeping Angels. Uh, only because I was put in my mind, I was putting them against each other. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know Daleks don't blink, but as soon as you've like shot them in the head. The vision's impaired. It's like a, it's like a, an endless blink. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they turn their head, they're dead. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But um, yeah, I guess you've got more of a chance of surviving with the Weeping Angels if they're they're just kind of feeding off temporal energy and sending you back in time. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, and the Daleks are going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. So we say Daleks. If you're happy with that, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so surprise, surprise, we've got the Daleks versus the Master. Hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is annoying. Yeah. Um, this is quite tricky, isn't it? Because uh, the, the, they're very well matched. And of course, you've got that great story where Frontier in space and... Yeah. The Master doesn't seem... Um to kind of afraid to deal with them doesn't seem out of his depth yeah in fact when he got that great line just gone uh what was it we'll see who rules the universe you stupid tin boxes uh i love roger delgado's delivery of that line as well um they're both quite deceptive but again I'm, i'm i'm inclined to think the master see i'm finding this tricky but I think I'm getting... I'm going a bit more Daleks. Who would you rather face off with? The ultimate threat. The ultimate... Yeah, I... I mm. Well, actually, the, the one that you would... The, the one you would want to face most is is the one that you would see is the weakest of the two. And now yes. that you've put it in that sense... 
and think of the Daleks, so that would mean the Master. Mm. But would the Daleks just shoot you on sight? Or do they not do that? No, they do do that, but... Um... See, this is the thing. It's sort of like either... Um... I mean, I wouldn't want to face both of them. No. It's like that scene in, uh, you know, in Ghostbusters, you know, think of the ultimate threat. Don't think of the Daleks. Um, just think of Mr. Puff Pastry. But, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to face both of them, but I don't know. There's something very straightforward. You know where you're standing with the Dalek. You've got to destroy it or it will destroy you. Whereas with the Master, yeah, it's the same thing, but... Either he'll kill you, or he'll toy with you, or he'll torture you, or he'll manipulate you. Oh, I don't know. Mm. I'm finding this really tricky. I'll it go... depends who you are as well, because if you're in between him and the Doctor, um, that's going to be an issue. True, but then there's a the thing as well, isn't there? There's always a, an odd relationship between the Master and the Companion. You know, you get that with Joe, and you get that with Perry, and... I suppose. Um, I'm going to go with your decision, Rob, on this one. But I'm undecided. Just going back to the theme of full circle. Yeah. Should we come back to it? The green button, Rob. Uh, Yeah, we'll come back to it. Okay. Um, Although I don't know what else we've got here we could say about full circle. Did we get any uh, listener feedback? Um, You know what? We did. I'll have to fight. I'll have to pull it up. I did a poll. I asked which version of the Doctor Who logo should the collection Blu-rays use going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, about 72% said keep it the same. Um, 27% said use the diamond logo. Those people are insane! <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice logo and everything like that, but there's nothing wrong with the Jodie Whittaker logo as well. And the whole idea is that we finally have something great the whole purpose of it it's supposed to be but if they keep it the same it doesn't match the vhs's or anything (laughs) oh yeah no um it just looks stupid yeah i've got a feeling that because russell t davis has been in charge of the show he'll have a say in the marketing i don't think the logo will change i think it'll be the same yeah i think it'll be fine um in fact um someone already commented uh, Marcus Scarman said, Russell has already stated they'll be sticking to the Jodie one. Oh, so, is he, so he's actually confirmed that? Yeah. All oh, right, okay, good, good. Um, Sean has said, am I the only one who doesn't mind either way? Which logo they use honestly doesn't bother me. You see, that's a sensible response. And we're Doctor Who fans, and we can't be having that. It's not allowed. You have to be ridiculously obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> Is the is the logo on the case or is it a removable sleeve? It's both. Hang on, wait a second. So see, yeah, I'm just because rem- I don't I don't have any of the collections, so I imagine the logo was on like a sleeve, and then the logo is nowhere to be seen on the on the on the case itself. No, so I, I've just grabbed my uh, season two just so I'm reminding myself. So it's got a uh, so it's got a sleeve. Show off. Yeah, no. <laughs> so uh, got it's got a sleeve, and on the. On the front of it, it has uh, the logo, uh, and it's also on the back. But on the actual box itself, uh, it's on the spine, 
Um, it's also on all the discs. I'm just seeing if it's anywhere else. Uh, what if they do like replacement sleeves for all of them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reversible it'll... sleeves. That'll yeah. be the next thing. Yeah, but this is all a box. You could probably be able to do that on the uh, the standard edition, and it's also on the on the booklet. So yeah. if you were to change the logo, it would affect the sleeve, the box, the discs, and the uh, the booklet. Yeah, so they might need to issue a disc, a box, a sleeve, and booklet replacement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is costly. So, what do you think you would have felt if they had used their respective logos for each era? On the box sets, do you think that would have been good? Yeah, that would. Yeah, that would. That would work. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I'll just have a look for these listener responses. I didn't save a link, but they're on Twitter somewhere. Oh no, no, I've got them. You got them, great. Okay, so uh, just a few responses. Um, so, WWDW RPG podcast. Uh, said, beware what you sniff. It may lead to a dricing of the species. Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, Grantos Fandango said, the one story where Adric is only mildly annoying. That's our Grant. <laughs> yeah. In all seriousness, it's an okay story from a season that's like Marmite to fans. I didn't know that. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was quite liked. That might just be in a balloon. Yeah. Uh, a balloon? A bubble. Anyway. Uh, so it's sandwiched between two good outings. Well, one. It's followed by the epic State of Decay. Special effects are decent and I like the Martian. And James Swift says, It's a story I really disliked watching. Probably Adric related. I don't remember much about it, though. Well, you, you've got something in common there with uh, with Rob. You didn't really remember yeah. much about it, did you, Rob? No, no, not at all. I just, all I remembered was um, loads of naked men and aubergines. <laughs> it is Doctor Who, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's something else I came across online. Yeah. yeah. Um, State of Decay, um, I think, is Grant's favourite ever Doctor Who story as well. Ah, it's interesting. It's a bloody good one. State of Decay. I, I am enjoying watching that one. Um, yeah. and in terms of the poll um, how would you rate the fourth Doctor Doctor Who story full circle well Rob how would you rate it good average or bad I'd definitely rate it a good story alright okay good good uh, I would agree I would also rate it good but in terms of the responses so 20% said it was bad okay said it was average. And 40% also said it was good. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah. Bit of a mixed. Yeah, a bit of a... I wouldn't say it's bad. Yeah, me personally, I I wouldn't say it was... uh, Yeah, there's a lot to to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. All the K9 stuff. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I I want... He gets out and about quite a bit, actually, in this one. Yeah, yeah, he does. I used to have a K9 key ring. Uh, until its head fell off, <laughs> funnily oh. enough. And then I took a photograph of it, and then I uh, tweeted it and said, my canine's gone a bit full circle. And I copied in Andrew Smith and Christopher Hamilton Bidmead into it. And they both... Oh. Res- this was years ago. It was on, like, an ancient uh, Twitter account that I no longer have. But they responded to it, and they went, well, don't blame us. Um, but, yeah. yeah. My, I come to think of it, my, my dapple canine head is off. 
Oh, is it? Yeah. I, well, I did put it onto my little Peter metal canine. So now it's got a tiny body and a massive head. Just kind of resting on like a little bit of a bobblehead. But <laughs> all right, the poor dapple one needs uh, fixed. Uh, wait, what color is your dapple one? Like a dark grey. Oh, so you haven't got the green one? No. Is that a thing? Yeah, it was. Uh, so when they, f- I think it was the first batch of canines that they did. They had a um, uh, a photo given to them by the BBC as a, as, as a reference, and it was uh, it, it was the canine prop taken outside on uh, on a field, and because it was sunny, the uh, the prop was reflecting the grass, so the prop looked green. So Dapper looked at this uh, picture and they went, oh, well, obviously canine's green. So then they painted it green. Oh, they didn't even know what they were doing. No. <laughs> no, but that was the thing, because, you know, uh, the one thing that I've always wanted is the Dapple console. Yeah. And it's it's five sides. Um, whereas the actual one in the uh, show six sides. And apparently the story is is they were given a they were given a photo of of the TARDIS console, and then Dapple looked at it and they went because it was just on a side view, so they couldn't quite determine if it was five or six sides. So the story is apparently they wrote to John Nathan Turner saying, "The photograph you've sent us, it looks as though it has five sides. Is this correct?" And apparently John Nathan Turner said. Well, if it looks like it's got five sides, like this really RC response, and they just went, oh, okay then. <laughs> so there's five sides. No quality control whatsoever, but, you know, they That's were... That's brilliant. That's good. Yeah, they, yeah. they, were, they were good just... for the time. Oh, I miss all the defective crap <laughs> toys that they made. Yeah. The paint jobs got really bad. What's that? The paint jobs got really bad at the end. Yeah, it was just because uh, it started off like like for the time it started off. I thought like reasonably good uh, figurines, you know, for the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, towards the end, it was just like the, the molds, the, the, just like what you done to the eye stalk of the dark, sloppy paint. Really odd choices. Like, why would you want a dark green glittery Dalek? Like they had some like really odd things that you could buy. Just I did I did have some good ones. Um I I think I've even got a red and silver Dalek with the claw. Oh right, okay. Um I've got Davros with both two hands and one hand. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. That's a yeah, another famous cocker. Uh, I've got Mel with different colour tops and I think one of them's blue and pink? Yeah, I think my pink is still boxed. Not sure about the blue. Yeah, I had I uh, I had one where um because so the way that uh, Mel's hair hair was put on, it was clearly a separate piece, just glued, and I was really curious, so I pulled it off, and then I had a bald Mel. Wow, <laughs> which it amused me for a bit. I went, "This is just ridiculous," and then I bought a replacement because it was a time when they were reasonably quite cheap. Yeah. Oh well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not into the toys they do now. Since the re- revival, I mean, they look great, but yeah. I'm not really. Uh, I don't know. People collect them. I'm not that first. I've got a few. Uh, I've got a few Daleks. Yeah, I did. I did get some of the Daleks. Uh, I got of the normal action figure size. 
Hmm. At the time, I bought a little tiny remote control one that size. Oh, right, okay. I don't think they're all remote control now. Mm -hmm. I do have one of the larger remote control ones, the new series Dalek, the bronze one. Oh, right, okay, nice. Um, Up in a cupboard somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Does all all the sound effects and stuff, and lights up blue, and it's pretty cool. Oh, nice. Um, I've got a few... I've got a few TARDISes. Like there's a tar- there's a oh, right. police box money box. Um, All right. That that I that I've got. Um, I've had that for years. And the funny thing is, it, I mean, it's really good, Nick, because I've I've had it. Uh, like I keep it on my windowsill, and the sun has never bleached it. It's still the same shade of blue from all those wow. years ago. So it's quite impressive. So it's it's ceramic. Um, so I've got that. I've got a pewter TARDIS from. Just um, see if we can see it on the bottom. Denby Mint. From the collection. Is that the one with Tom Baker hanging out the door? No, 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 no. That's a that's a small plastic thing. It's a small thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, this is a this is a lovely pewter engraved. It's got a lot of detail in it, so that's quite good. That's um, good. I've got a police box full of. Uh, this was for the fiftieth anniversary. A lot of. Um, uh, all the all the soundtrack CDs are in it. Oh, you got that tall thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, a few years back, when I was in London, I visited the Who, Who shop, and I bought a, a mini Tardis, so yeah. like two inches or something like that. I've got. I think I've got a hell of a lot of different Tardis key rings. I've got a Dalek bottle opener, and I think the electronic thing detects a metal bottle cap and then it just says exterminate all right okay um i've got a i've got a doctor who wallet with the eccleston logo on all right okay loads of random stuff i've still got the the tv movie mugs from the bbc shop boxed wow Uh, that's impressive with um one's the 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 blue logo and the other one's the seal of rassel on mm-hmm. um uh i've still got i've got the tardis key which I, I used to wear as a chain it's just in my bedside drawer now all oh, right okay i should start wearing that again mm-hmm. is that was that weird <laughs> <laughs> nah yeah um, i miss the bbc shop it was good yeah even the website that i used to look on from time to time yeah, that was still good. I remember when um when they first it was a bit weird when it came to the key to time season. It was originally released on DVD in America and we couldn't get it for years and then finally when it was released in the UK it was it was a limited edition uh box set. And it was incredibly difficult to get your hands on. And then uh people were selling them second hand on eBay for extortionate amounts. I mean it was like silly money. So some people were selling it for five hundred up to a grand and all the rest of it, and I, it's one of my favorite seasons. And I was really wanting to, you know, I really wanted the the set because originally it, it sold I think for seventy pounds, which considering right, it yeah. was, it's like six stories in a box set and it came with a whole load of special features. Uh, it was the- yeah, I didn't I didn't get that limited edition. I guess I've got. A bog standard one in his sleeve now. Yeah. Well, what ended up happening was so I was, 
because there was quite a gap between the limited edition and then the the, the version that you've got there was quite a gap um anyway one day i went i went onto the the bbc website uh shop bbc shop website and they had one there right original price and all the rest of it so i bought it and it was the last one uh, how random yeah and it was just like, like for, for everyone who had been going on uh ebay and buying it for ridiculous money it was just like th- there was that one <laughs> there was that one yeah uh so i, I managed to it was a good find yeah very very good find um yeah i used to uh, uh buy dvds and stuff off there for it was it was a bit of a shame when uh, when they yeah they used to do um exclusives didn't they do um enemy of the world and web of fear oh with the as, yes they did and with you, the gold with the um, t-shirts and things, yes yeah. uh, i got the i got the one with the uh the glow in the, i didn't realize it was glow in the dark until i got it but it was the the, the yeti uh, t-shirt all right to just get a freight one night you got the title <laughs> just come on what that oh it's just my t-shirt glowing in the dark oh thank god um but yeah they were actually quite well made as well so uh yeah it's a shame stuff like that's gone there yeah i look on zavi quite often for um physical stuff they do steel books and things mm-hmm. um they used to have um actual shops back in the day yeah but um i think i think they were supplied by um a division of woolworths oh i didn't know that um, okay yeah, I think it was. It, you remember to entertain that? Yes, yeah, yeah. that they were um, part of Woolworths, and that all. Oh yes, you're right. That they all were. disappeared. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they were a supplier to Zavi, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, Zavi's high street stores um, were in trouble because they didn't have the stock, and then they kind of went under, and then, um, and then it's just like an online exclusive thing now, but um. Mm-hmm. It's still quite a good store. They do a lot of exclusives. Yeah, yeah, I have uh, have heard that. And apparently, I don't know whether it's the case now, but I think when um, when it comes to the Doctor Who collection uh, pre-order, I'm sure I've heard people say that if you order it from, from Zavi, you can, on occasion, get it a day or two earlier. Right, okay. Um, which, thinking about it, I wish I'd clocked. But yeah, I'm buying it with HMV now, but um, yeah. which is good. I'm pleased HMV is still around. Yeah, I'm surprised every time I see it. Is that still still a thing? <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's a good thing. Uh, yeah, because that's I think it's owned by a Canadian company now. Um, but yeah, that that's come quite close to completely vanishing. But I'm so pleased yeah. it's a, it's it's still there. They still sell a lot of weird things and geeky kind of merch t-shirts and last time i went in i had loads of weird japanese drinks yeah the, the it it has become in a good way because I, I do like i i do like the shop and i still pop in but it, it has got a bit uh quite odd like you've got like so i tend to so obviously you've still got all the music uh which is great and then in terms of the films, uh, they're really pushing like the boutique labels of Criterion and Arrow Videos and all the rest of it. So, you know, you've got all that, BFI and so on. 
But yeah, and then they started selling these weird drinks, and then you can get these boxes, which are like, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it, but uh, you get these boxes, and like it's it's the myste- mystery box, like it's for it's like a fixed amount. All oh, right. Okay. Um, some of various prices. You don't know what's in the box, and sometimes it can be what's in the box can be worth more than what you paid for. But yeah, the the, the doing all that. So it's a it is a bit of a bit of an odd mixture there. Yeah, it must be hard selling. Obviously, like everyone streams films and music now. Mm. Um, yeah, quite often I I would go to HMV and just spend spend a lot of time looking for something to watch, mm-hmm. or going in to see the new releases. And there's a lot of other shops I miss. Obviously, Virgin. Yes, there there was one called MVC. Oh, that, that was a big one. That rings a bell, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was at the bottom end of um, Eldon Square. Um, and yeah, that that disappeared. Mm. Uh, memories. Yeah. And Woolworths as well. Yeah, of course, Woolworths. Um, Woolworths was interesting in terms of this because they always had like exclusives. Like I'm sure when uh, The Hand of Fear came out on VHS, that was a, uh, that was a Woolworths exclusive. Ah oh, right, okay, and then uh, Even... and then for for Goldeneye there was like a uh, there was a James Bond documentary, um, which was uh, sold on VHS, but that was exclusive to Woolworths. Right, okay. Uh, but I wasn't a James Bond fan at the time. I only became aware of this like years later because uh, it was in uh, an Oxfam charity shop. There was a video with this documentary on it, and blazing on the front was exclusive to Woolworths. Uh, oh, I bought right. it for like one pound ninety five or something like that. It was quite good, and it was, it, although a bit cheesy. It was presented by um, uh, Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Weird. I did get some exclusives for the the new era Doctor Who with the DVDs. The first set I got was the the giant TARDIS. Have you seen that? For the Christopher Eccleston season. Is that for it's a, put? It's a giant TARDIS that opens. It's huge. Right. Is that for like um, putting your DVDs and stuff in? Well, no. The, it's just there's. Um, it's just kind of a gatefold thing with DVDs inside it. Oh, with the discs in trays. Uh, sorry, I, I thought you meant like a big, uh, like a, a big wooden TARDIS. Uh, no, no, it's just a cardboard thing. And, yeah, um, yeah, I know what you mean now. Every few years, the glue will just leap off, <laughs> so you have to reassemble. <laughs> right. Okay. It's not built to last. But at the time, I thought, God, if they do this every year, there's going to be no shelf space left. <laughs> uh, thankfully, they didn't for Series 2. Um, I had a little shop around for exclusives. So Amazon did a giant Cyberman head, um, which I got. I pre-ordered, got that straight away. I thought, for God's sake, what is Series 3 going to be? <laughs> giant something or other. <laughs> Um, it wasn't, it, but for Series 3, I got the, I think it might have been another Amazon exclusive, uh, which had the master on the front of a holographic thing, Vote Saxon. Oh, okay. And and then for Series 4, I got the HMV exclusive, which had um, the big red Dalek um, on the front. Oh, right, okay. Um, for series three, I got the Amazon exclusive, but I think Woolworths did do their own exclusive as well. 
All right. Um, just different uh, cover kind of variation. Mm-hmm. No different content. Aye. Uh, oh well, been waffling on for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah. What what what's left? Um, I think that's uh, I think that's that's it for for this podcast. Um, what's happening next, Rob? Oh well, next I think we'll go back to Torchwood. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind. No, no, not at all. Well, we'll be up to episode three, Ghost Machine. Um, yeah, so we'll do that. Sounds great. I don't think I remember. Don't think I remember anything about Ghost Machine. Oh, so I'll be coming to it fresh. Yep. Let me know what you think. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do the last podcast. We did. what was the last one called? The last Torchwood episode. Yeah. It was day one. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun to discuss. It was, yeah. I remember we were really hyped for the first episode. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is going to be really fun. Then we were really bummed out by the second episode because it was crap. <laughs> well, a lot of listeners seem to enjoy how <laughs> how angry it made me. Um, yeah. That, uh, was, uh, was a lot of fun uh, talking about it, though. Yeah. Um, the next one, I'm I'm sure we'll enjoy it. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that one. Yeah. Actually, I did a... Uh, I drew, um, I've been trying to draw little scenes when I had a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, this is a bit of a work in progress. I'll send it to you. But um, if you like it, I can kind of put it onto the uh, the website when it's finished. Okay. Um, so I'll send this to you on WhatsApp. It's a work in progress. I think I've added more detail to it now. Oh, I like that. That's good. Yeah. Which is basically just uh, for the listeners. It's the tiled wall in the Torchwood Hub, mm-hmm. which has Torchwood across, and there's a set E. Um, I've already drew a table. I'm going to put some pizza on it, and there's blood splatters around, and <laughs> a few more details. But great. Yeah, I'll put that on the website when we uh, review Torchwood. Yeah, great. I like that. That's good. We need to redesign our characters that we have. Well, for me, you just need to take my glasses you, off. Yeah, take your glasses off. <laughs> and then put them on me. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, yep. Uh, so, yes, uh, Torchwood next week. And then the week after that, we will be looking at uh, State of Decay. Yeah, can't wait. Um, are we going to aim to do a lot of weeklies this year, Liam? Yes. Maybe get back into the swing of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Hopefully, yeah. 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 So hopefully you'll see us next week. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. The TARDIS Cloister Bell. Imminent disaster. The Cloister Bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no.